everybody. Welcome to the X and Hilo podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the number one reason why Christians don't care about their health. And it's not a trivial reason. It's not a small reason. It's not a it's not something silly like, oh, I love Jesus so much. I don't want to I want to talk about my food. I just want to I want to talk about my diet. I don't want to talk about my health, my exercise. I just want to talk about Jesus. It's not something like that. It's actually far more complicated. And it's probably the reason for many of the different issues we're struggling with today. Like, okay, bear with me. Like uh, sexual identity, like uh, the body, things like gender identity, uh, things like even abortion, or even things like euthanasia. Big, big idea. So you're going to have to bear with me. I do think this is going to be theological. I do think, though, by the end of this, you might see where uh, the reasons, well, let me just say, you might see the reasons why you don't actually care, you, you actually don't care about health or why you haven't cared about health for a long time and why your friends maybe don't feel that way or your family doesn't feel that way. And I think this, this idea is predominantly Western. It's predominantly American. Uh, it, it's, you're going to see a pattern happening in the United States and in Western Europe that this big distinction solves. And if you were to buy in to uh, getting over this big idea, you're actually going to see the Bible, you're going to see your body, you're going to see people far differently, okay? So bear with me. This is the number one reason why Christians don't care about their body and they don't care about their health. To solve this, we have to go all the way back to a figure named Charles Darwin. Now, Darwin is most notable for how he contributed the idea of natural selection in regards to evolution, right? Remember the island he goes to and he studies the birds and he sort of comes out with all these these big conclusions. And his discoveries really led um, to the support of this idea that essentially the strong eat the weak in society. This is the idea that weaker nations would essentially be conquered by stronger nations, uh, weaker people would be conquered by stronger people, and weaker traits would be um, uh, conquered by stronger traits, that the longer we live, the more these weaker traits would not be passed on in our genetic code. The original title for his work, Origin of Species, which really is his big famous work. Now, you've probably heard of the Origin of Species. I think it's important to show uh, show what the original title was because it kind of sets up where we're going with this whole podcast. The original title for the origin of species from Charles Darwin was on the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races and the struggle for life. Okay. So that says a little bit more about where he's going with what he is saying. He didn't just set out to to give us a sort of a big conceptual idea um, of, of evolution, but he actually was studying the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Now, one of his biggest discoveries was essentially how uncivilized and how uncultured races would be essentially eliminated by more civilized races. And he says this in one of his works. Check this out. The Western nations of Europe, get this, the Western nations of Europe, now so immeasurably surpass their former savage progenitors that they stand at the summit of civilization the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savage races through the world. Now, you might say that's pretty cold-hearted. You might even call that evil. Um, but this is the point, and this is what he was trying to prove. And I, and, I, and I would say, yes, this is evil. I actually would call it racist as well. Um, but this is one of his larger points. You see, Darwin actually didn't deny that nature sort of appeared to be designed. 
he actually believed it did appear to be designed. Um, but through his work, he sought to show how any intelligent design was merely coincidental and the result of random chance. And, bear with me, if the universe sort of fell into existence and was not designed by a maker or by a designer, by a, by a fine-tuner, as scientists say, then any morality or values that I had or you had could not be embedded in nature. So if there's no designer, then values and morality are basically created by us however we want to craft them. So to call something racist or to call something wrong morally um, couldn't really be a thing if there was no great designer, even though the universe appears designed. And here he contributes to something called the fact-value split. This is where we essentially have facts on one side, values on another. The fact-value split has greatly contributed to many different ideas and culture. But essentially, what is real and concrete is facts. And values are things we craft and make up because, again, there's no designer, there's no transcendent God. And so we just sort of create the values we want to live by. So if we think something sounds racist, well, that's really just us adding that to life that can't be, that can't, there couldn't be a moral standing for something being racist or not racist or sexist or not sexist or evil or good because, again, there's no designer. The world just sort of happens and we sort of give values as we see fit. The fact value split. What does this have to do with the day? Well, the fact-value split has greatly contributed to our misunderstandings of the human body itself. Remember, the human body is creation. We are matter, right? According to Charles, Charles Darwin, we are chemical reactions sort of floating through space in the cosmos, and we are beings. That's what our bodies are, right? This is a big deal. The fact-value split has contributed greatly to our misunderstandings of the body, and following this pattern, we have not just the fact-value split, but the body person split. Now, this idea comes from a wonderful book I'm going to recommend to you called Love Thy Body by a woman named Nancy Piercy. This book is fantastic, and I highly recommend it to you. I wish I had it on my desk to show you. <clears throat> I don't, but absolutely go pick this book up. The, uh, it's called Love Thy Body Again by Nancy Piercy. You see, here's the deal. The facts of a human being are their body. This is the flesh and the bone of a human being. A human beings need for water or oxygen and the like, all that stuff. You know, that stuff's all the facts of a human. That's the body, right? But the person aspect, the person aspect, this is what we're going to focus on, is the value aspect of a human. This is where its desires, a human being's desires and feelings and hopes all come from. And it's all totally distinct from the physical body. Why is it totally distinct from the physical body? Well, again, the body is just merely fact. That's all it is. It's flesh and bones that's floating through space and time. And, val and the personhood is really what we make it to be. It's whatever we decide we want it to be. This is desires, feelings, hopes. This could be religion. It could be morality. It's, but it's distinct. Now, this has all sorts of ramifications, right? I'll give you a few. Sexuality. Sexuality in the fat in the person body split is different. This is where we essentially say my desires are different and distinct from my biology, right? My personhood says um, that I want to have sex with the same sex, let's say, even though my biology or my body would, would is clearly designed with the, the, the proper plumbing 
to to mate and to procreate with the opposite sex, right? I know I am wired to procreate and have sex with a certain sex, but I I am unaligned. My personhood is unaligned with my body. Sexuality, sexual freedom. This is where we get, you know, we go promiscuous with our sexual freedom. This is where we say, you know, it's really just sex. Sexual freedom, it's just sex. I don't have to feel any connection or emotion uh, uh, in my sexual encounters because that's just my body. That's not really who I am as a person. So we can have, we can be really promiscuous. We can have sex with multiple people, but we're not really bonding with them in any meaningful way. That's just my body. One guy was quoted in Love Thy Body in a Rolling Stone article as saying, sex is just flesh bumping into other flesh, nothing more and nothing less. That's the way that uh, the Darwin perspective, the, the fact value split sort of understands this and the person body split sort of understands this. Um, I don't have to feel any connection or emotion of sexual encounters because it's just my body. Again, it's not me as a person. And then gender identity. This is where we say I am different, fundamentally different from my biological sex. My personhood is totally different from my body, totally different from my body. Um, I am not a man. I am a woman, despite what my body, my hormones, and my body parts would say. And the last ramification here is really what we put into our body. And this could be nicotine, alcohol, food, everything. In the person-body split, it doesn't really matter what I put in my body so long as I live a good life. Uh, we are different. This is called dualism, where the spirit and the mind are separate and distinct from the physical world. So think about it like that. And this is where sort of food comes in. We believe this to be true about our food. We believe that, you know, let's say as Christians, it doesn't really matter what I eat or drink so long as I worship Jesus and love Jesus and pray and meditate and take care of my neighbor, love my neighbor. doesn't matter what I eat or drink. So this is where, and I'll give you three big points today. The first big point is that culture tells us, modern Western culture, even including <clears throat> modern Western Christianity, culture tells us to detach and disintegrate from your body to find who you truly are. To detach and disintegrate from your body to find who you truly are, right? This is dualism, split. Funny enough, we've been told by culture and society that, that they actually value the body more, not less, because essentially sexual freedom and freedom of sexual identity, freedom of gender, freedom of eating and drinking whatever I want puts a greater emphasis on the body and its pleasures, right? So I care more about the body because I want the freedom of it. But let me just tell you, that's flat out false. Culture and society values the body far less than a traditional understanding of an integrated self, mind, body, spirit. One can actually make the argument this perspective of the person-body split hardly values the body at all actually doesn't really care about it at all. I believe this perspective is at war with the body because it has disintegrated our spiritual selves from our physical selves. And it's all birthed from an ideological, racially motivated evolutionary theory. That's kind of where it all comes from. And it's really fascinating to think about. Now, the question, Ex Nihilo podcast is about biblical wellness, right? Eating his food is close to the way God created as possible. It's about understanding where we came from in the garden. We have to ask the question, is this what God says? That our bodies don't matter. That in fact, our body is not really us at all. And really what's us is the spiritual idea. And in fact, for the culture today, our bodies might even represent the complete opposite, the very opposite of who we believe we are in the case of someone who's transgender. In order to understand this from a, a Christian perspective, 
we have to go back to the beginning. We have to understand um, we have to understand Genesis chapter one. We're going back to Genesis chapter one because I mean this is where God created everything, right? This is in the beginning, God creates everything and he creates it good, right? So before sin enters the world, how did God design humanity? Well, let's read a little bit. This is Genesis chapter one, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. God makes man and woman and male and male and female in his image, right? In his image. This is an important part of all of this, right? Men and women, both male and female, are uniquely crafted based on the very image of God after God says our, meaning the, the Trinitarian council, Father, Son, Spirit, after our likeness. So the hum, human body then is of immeasurable value to God, one, because it bears his literal image. It's kind of like how maybe if you have kids, your kids, you know, you love all kids maybe, but your kids matter more to you because they bear your image. They're, they're your own flesh and blood. And so you might, you might say that your kids matter far more to you than even someone else's kids, even though it's not that you don't value those kids, it's that they're not your kids and those kids have your image, right? So the human bodies of a measurable value to God, um, the human body is of a measurable value to God because we matter to him because we bear that very image. God cares about the human body so much so that he even sent Jesus to die, not just for your soul, <clears throat> but for your body as well. First Corinthians chapter six says this in regards to the body, flee from sexual immorality, says apostle Paul. For every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, yes, this verse is talking about uh, sexual immorality, but the principle still applies. God cares deeply about your body, and he doesn't want you to just disregard your body because it's your body and not your soul. He wants you to take care of your, yourself very clearly. And he says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So glorify God in your body. You, my friend, dwell, have the very image of God written on you. The Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, dwells within you. And so God cares about that body. And so you don't want to just disrespect God's temple. Remember in the Old Testament, we couldn't just go disrespect and graffiti all over the tabernacle and the temple where the presence of God dwelt, right? No, of course not. We want, we, there was much care. In fact, there were people that offered strange offerings or improper, unauthorized offerings in, in that area, and we're killed for it. So it matters, right? We don't want to disrespect God's temple. The same is true for us. Now the temple has spread to the believer. The believers are temples of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to disregard and disrespect God's temple, which is what human beings are, okay? We want you to be careful, whether it's sexually or whether it's what, what you eat and drink or how you behave as a person. All I have to say, like Darwin, if you do not understand or believe in the doctrine of sin, you're not you're going to sort of miss the big E on the I chart. 
And that's this, that having sin means that you and I were all at war with creation. Because of sin, Adam and Eve's original rebellion against God and our current rebellion against God and our sin, our sin natures are at war with all of creation, including our physical bodies. In case you didn't know, our physical bodies are part of creation. They're part of creation. After Adam and Eve sin, God tells them that the new the new tells them of the newfound reality that they would essentially live in as a result of sin, and that's that they would be at war with all of creation. How living would be hard now; it would be difficult, right? We would all learn as a result of sin, Adam and Eve first, but then all of us. We would all learn to hate creation. We would learn to hate our human limits, and we would learn to hate our work. We would learn to hate our bodies. And we would learn to hate each other. That's the reality of sin, right? God tells Adam, you're going to be at war. And by the sweat of your brow, you would produce fruit. And then that there would be thorns and thistles in the earth, right? He calls Adam to work and keep the garden. But as a result, his work's going to be very hard. That's true for all of us. We are at war with creation. That includes our bodies, which kind of explains a lot why we were trying to get away from our bodies so much. So while culture says, detach and disintegrate from your body to find your true self. The Bible says Jesus comes to attach and integrate your soul and your body because you are made in God's image. Friends, you are not two separate things. You are not body and spirit. You are one beautifully integrated spirit made in God's image and your body affects your soul and your soul affects your body and you reflect God's image back to the world. They are connected in you. Now, my guess is by now, if you're a Christian, you're starting to see where you, even if you call yourselves, again, a Christian or a believer, um, that you've implemented somewhere along the way the person-body split or the fact-value split. Like, you've separated those two things. You've looked at the body as different than who you really are. And we may implement it in all sorts of ways. Yes, for sure, in sexual relationships. Um, You know, maybe if people have lived a a promiscuous sexual life, they might just say, ah, it's just sex, it's just college, it's just a hookup, it's not really who I am. But we also implement this person-body split in all sorts of other areas. For instance, food and alcohol. We've talked about this. This is where we say it doesn't really matter what I put into my body so long as I really, really love Jesus. And we'll, we'll use verses like, don't fear what can kill the, um, the, kill the body but not kill the soul. And we'll sort of proof text verses on sharing the gospel and, and take that to mean that we can eat hostess cupcakes and ding-dongs and pizza and ice cream however we want because it can't really kill the soul. No, 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 no. You can't import a verse about sharing the gospel and not fearing being martyred for Jesus or fearing opposition for sharing the gospel and then using that verse to be able to eat hostess cupcakes, ding-dongs, cupca- uh, pizza, you know, I've said cupcakes twice, cupcakes, 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 whatever it is, all this junk food. And you can't use a verse like that because it's not fair. That's not what the verse was meant. We can't use a verse on being a missionary and sharing the gospel to justify eating trash, which is what most of us do. And we say, I just want to share the gospel. I'm not worried about any of that stuff. Oh, really? So does it matter what you eat? You can go eat whatever you want. God doesn't care. You can't eat a bunch of Franken food that's been manipulated by big pharma, big food, big agriculture, and then say God doesn't care. Let me ask you a question. Does God care if you do meth? Oh, he cares if you do meth, doesn't he? He does care if you do meth. Why does he care if you do meth? 
because it's harming you because you're addicted to it, right? Ephesians 5.18, don't become drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been, you've been manipulated and used by that drug. Okay. What about food that's been manufactured and it doesn't kill you fast like meth does, but it kills you slowly? Like, I don't know, Hostess, Ding Dongs, Cupcakes, Twinkies, McDonald's, uh, GMOs, uh, cross-bred grain. All of these things kill you slower with chronic disease. They don't kill you fast like meth or heroin does. So God does care what you put in your body, right? He doesn't want you to do drugs. You are, my friend, doing drugs by eating trash Franken food. You're, you're doing drugs. It's just killing you slow. One author calls it uh, chronic disease in, in the Western world, a slow motion plague, but more wide scale. So you're not dying immediately like fentanyl, but you are going to die slowly over time and your, your hospital bills are going to go up and you're going to need to be uh, in and out of quick care and in and out of the ER and in and out of the hospital. And you're getting knee and hip and joint replacements thinking that's normal. It's not. It's chronic disease caused by inflammation, chronic inflammation, largely due to your diet. There are exceptions, but most people are getting hip, knee and joint replacements, knee, hip and knee, hip and ankle replacements, I should say because they have chronic inflammation and arthritis because they're eating terrible junk food like farmed dairy, um, grain-fed cows, um, GMO snacks like Ritz crackers and all sorts of junk, nutter butter bars and Fruit Loops and thinking, oh, I'm eating healthy. No, you're not. But it has, it has grain in it. It has healthy heart grains. No, it doesn't. Do you know that these people that produce this food put out their own studies to justify um, making this product and then slap them on the box. So that way you think it's healthy. Do you think that you're, do you think that they have a billion dollar business to protect and they've gamed the system? They absolutely have. So all that to say, it does matter to God what you put in your body. To say otherwise is to say God doesn't care about something. And I'll frankly I have a very hard time believing that there's something that God doesn't care about, right? I think God cares about all of his creation. We also implement the person-body divide in a number of other ways, like abortion. We're not going to talk about abortion here, but I will say you have to implement a person-body split in order to justify abortion, and here's why. Scientists all widely agree that the body inside of a woman growing is distinct with its own DNA. We just know that's true now at this point. So we know that the, per, the baby growing is a body. It's separate. The question is for pro-abortionists, when does it, the body, become a person? When does it, the body become a person? Because again, we don't really value the body, but we do value the person. Is it 12 weeks? Is it six weeks? Is it 18 weeks? For some politicians, it's 40 weeks. It's 43 weeks. At what point does... The, the body become a person. We also implement this view, uh, this person-body divide uh, with views on things like euthanasia or assisted suicide. Now, I'm not going to tell you that these are easy, these are easy, big ideas. I'm not making judgments on any of them. I'm just telling you where we're implementing the person-body divide. At what point does the body exist, but the person no longer does? At what point does the body exist, but the person no longer does? And then we can sort of get rid of the body, euthanasia, assisted suicide. These are all concepts, by the way, in Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body. Again, highly recommend that book to you. I'm going to go ahead and put a link to Love Thy Body 
in the description of the YouTube video and in the show notes of the podcast, okay? So you should absolutely get this. Churches themselves, from the Christian perspective, implemented uh, the person-body divide from the opposite side of the aisle, okay? This is where the church gets its sex is gross, but don't talk about it doctrine, right? Just worry about giving your life to Jesus. You're sort of forgetting that God made pleasure, made the body, and that pleasure in the context of, of monogamous, God, godly, covenantal marriage is worth celebrating in its proper context, right? It's worth celebrating. This is why we get this sort of sex is gross uh, stuff. And this is where we get this sort of church hog wild potlucks, especially you Baptists, no offense. But down south, we're eating all sorts of junk down there. We're eating big old pot pies, fried chicken, all these desserts. And they're over here saying, hey, man, you know, I'm a Baptist. You shouldn't be drinking alcohol. To which I'd say, you shouldn't be drinking Crisco because that's exactly what you're doing. And then you might have to ask the question at a certain point, which is worse, alcohol or Crisco? I think it's a fine question that somebody should ask. Churches are guilty of implementing the person-body split by allowing people to eat whatever the heck they want, but then drawing arbitrary lines on other things. We have to be careful as the church. Now, if this is you and you're seeing where you might have implemented the body, soul, you know, let's say person-body divide, on some level, you need to know that you got this understanding not from the Bible, but you got it from Gnosticism. Now, we're going to go down a, a, quite a rabbit trail, but <clears throat> Gnosticism was an ancient pagan belief structure that said that evil, sin, and really all brokenness has come from the physical world. Essentially, the spiritual world is good or has the capacity to be good, and the physical world was evil. Uh, Nancy Piercy says this in Love Thy Body. She says, it treated creation, that's Gnosticism, as a kind of fall of the soul from a higher spiritual realm into the corrupt material realm. So example would be like, it do, if you say something like, it doesn't matter what I eat or what I do with my body, so long as I love Jesus, you've learned, you've learned that thinking from Gnostic roots, that your body is just whatever, but your spirit is on a higher standard. And from the other side, if you say something like, it's just sex, it's not who I really am, You've adopted that, again, from a sort of secular Gnosticism. Either way, both ways of thinking are sort of cousins from the mother of Gnosticism, okay? We can get all uppity as religious people, judging all sorts of people, saying, you're, not, you're drinking too much, or you're, you shouldn't be smoking cigarettes, or you, know, you shouldn't be doing this, this, and this, and then we just don't honor our physical bodies at all, and we have these massive church potlucks where we just gorge ourselves, and we become really, honestly, gluttony, and we've got this massive double standard on our hands, whether it's food, whether it's sex, whether it's abortion views or whether it's otherwise. And I would just say to the Christian that feels that way, I'd let C.S. Lewis respond when he said, there is no good in trying to be more spiritual than God. God never meant man to be a purely spiritual creature. He likes matter. He invented it. Your body matters to God. It's not just about your soul or how much you love Jesus. Your body also matters to him. And I know it's hard to cut through the dualistic culture that we all live in. The secular modern West has seeped into our brains, and so we don't see how our bodies matter. They matter, I promise you. 
Now, maybe you think I'm reaching or I'm wrong, and maybe this all seems okay to you. Um, in maybe I, I, I might be, I might tend to agree. And I want to make sure I'm pulling up these verses here because I want to share some of these with you. I might tend to agree with you if it weren't for Jesus Christ coming back from the dead in a body. You may think I'm reaching or I'm wrong and all of this might seem okay to you that you can sort of eat and drink whatever you want if it weren't for the whole Jesus resurrecting thing. When Jesus rose from the grave, the Gnostics believed that Jesus wasn't really there and in the flesh and he was sort of like had the illusion of a, a resurrection but he was really only there in some sort of purely spiritual sort of Casper the friendly ghost sort of way. He was sort of floating around and that Jesus was kind of like um, too good for a physical body. But they're wrong. Why? Because the Bible teaches otherwise. When Jesus comes back, Jesus comes back in a resurrected body. I'll give you some verses. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the word, Jesus, came became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came and literally lived. He pitched his tent amongst the people of God, wearing flesh. Colossians 2.9. For in him, Jesus, the wholeness, the, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The fullness of deity dwells bodily, not with the illusion of a body, bodily. And sort of the final kicker after the resurrection, Luke 24, verse 39 through 43, Jesus says when he comes back, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for I for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, Jesus, it says, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, wild caught, (laughs) and he took it and ate it before them. Jesus shows up in a physical body. Beautiful. So let's recap a little bit for you. Culture says, detach and disintegrate from your body to find your true self. The Bible says, Jesus comes to attach and integrate your soul and your body because you're made in God's image. And Jesus says to you, I redeemed your body with my body. And soon you will live in that same body forever. Here's the point. When Jesus Christ came back from the dead, he came back in a physical body. When we saw Jesus, when they saw Jesus, resurrected, we had the first instance of heavenly things merging with the corrupted, broken world that we all live in today. We saw a post-resurrection Jesus Christ come into the world and break in. And what do we know? He had a body. He had a body. When Jesus Christ comes back and he judges the living and the dead, and this world, the creation, which remember is fractured and broken, it's all going to be redeemed and renewed and restored and all of the people that Jesus brings back are all going to come back with physical bodies that are redeemed, renewed, and restored. The point is, we will be integrated beings, not just floating spirits like some sort of fat baby on a harp in the heaven, but heaven will be here on earth, redeemed, renewed, and restored, and you and I are going to have physical bodies. One more insight for you. On his ascension, Jesus goes up to heaven, 
and he goes up there. But this is not just a spiritual ascension. Like his body, his physical body that is in drops to the ground like Woody from Toy Story when, you know, Andy walks in the door. No, and, and then his spirit goes up. No, 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 no. Jesus' body goes with him. This means that Jesus' physical body is forever merged with his spiritual self. The two worlds merge forever. And so will it be with us in new creation. Your body matters to God now like your soul does because one day it's all going to be redeemed, renewed, and restored, and he will perfect all of it in glory. Now, can you still perfect it, your body, if you eat a bunch of Cheetos and you get you know, chronic disease and maybe you die or something like that? Yes, he can. The same way he forgave the two thieves on the cross. Would it have been better, though, if those thieves didn't weren't thieves and they worshipped him and they loved him and they stewarded their own resources so they didn't have to steal? Yes, it would have been better. Your body matters to God. Can, he re- can God redeem a person who gets divorced? Yes. Would it have been better if they didn't, though, and they, follow, and they upheld their covenant? It would have been. It would be better for you to steward your body well and not give up on your body and just throw it to, to hell because, you know, who cares? God's going to redeem me anyway. You could say that with anything. You could say, why go to church? As long as I love Jesus at the very end and I, and I, and I submit to him, then he's going to forgive me. Yes, if, that, if you truly do love Jesus and you become a true, authentic Christian before you die and Jesus, come, Jesus redeems, renews, and restores you and you become filled with the Holy Spirit, then yes, you will be with Jesus forever. But would God have preferred you be in the community of a body of believers? Yes, he would. You could say that with anything. You could say, who cares if I do cocaine because eventually if I become a Christian and repent, then I will be with Jesus forever. Yeah, that's true. If that's really true, that's true. That doesn't mean God wants you doing cocaine. The same is true with eating junk and acquiring chronic diseases and getting cancer, diabetes, having a heart attack, hypertension, all this stuff. God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to steward the resources he's given you, right? Now, what does this all mean for us? It means that, friends, the culture that you and I live in has a very low view of the body. But for those of us that are Christians, that we were trying to live out this ex nihilo lifestyle, again, if you want to know what ex nihilo means, ex nihilo is the Latin for from nothing, that God made man from nothing, and that there was this original intention for humanity that was perfect and we, after sin, have sort of mucked up all of the way God intended us to live. And that does include our physical bodies, health, and wellness, right? It includes everything. It means that, well, all this means that culture has a low view of the body, but we must have a high view of the body. And Ex Nihilo, the Accidental Podcast, my perspective is that we should have a high view of the body. This is what this is for. And with that, we're able to really understand things like sex, marriage, diet and exercise and views of taking care of ourselves in their proper contexts. And if we understand how important the body is to God, then we can view all of those things through a few specific lenses. Pleasure. If you understand that God created your soul and your body is integrated, you can see that pleasure of the human body in its proper context is beautiful and wonderful gift from God. Pleasure is great as it relates to things like sex within the context of marriage. It's also great in the context of eating and drinking. God wants you to enjoy those things. Ex nihilo is not a perspective to get you to start of eating 
plain chicken breasts and rice and eating disgusting protein shakes. Not at all. In fact, I might disagree with some of that principally anyway. But the point is, we want you to enjoy food in its proper context the, the way God originally intended it. The way God originally intended food. Not uh, the way it's been propagated by big pharma, big agriculture, and big food, and big fast food, okay? And PepsiCo, and McDonald's, and you name it, Little Debbie's. We keep picking on Hostess, Hostess, right? That's not what we're saying. Frito-Lay. Pleasure's good. And when we practice it in the person-body split, sort of sex, food, it becomes just something you do with your body, but it's not really who you are. But... The point is, we do believe that what we eat, what we drink, how we behave with our bodies is who we are, and we want to steward that well. When we understand how important the body is to God, we also can look through the lens of holiness. You see, if you understand yourself is integrated and that your body matters to God, you know then how much holiness matters. This is the one really out of the sort of few principles I'm going to share here at the end that is most out of style to practice. We don't think about eating and drinking as as a means of holiness. We think about this like the same way we think about it like sex, like, oh, the purity movement, it's rubbed me the wrong way, and like, who cares what I eat as long as I love Jesus? It's the church potluck. God bought you with a price, and you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are not just a disconnected bag of flesh. And so he cares about what you eat and what you drink, and he wants you to be distinct from the world around you. Remember, God even gave dietary law to the Israelites, to what? Set them apart from among the nations. This is a theological idea, okay? I'm not just making this up. This is a a theological idea that God gave Israel dietary laws to make them distinct, to set them apart, to make them holy. Holy means to be set apart from among the nations, okay? As, As a witness for who Yahweh was. It's important for us. We are set apart, from among the people, to be distinct from among others as Christians, as a witness for who God is to us, right? Third thing, worship. If, if you understand yourself as an integrated person, body and person together, then you, will, you can learn that you can worship God, not just when you sing, not just when you give your money or something like that, but with the stewardship of your body. Bodily stewardship, whether eating or drinking, or even things like sex, is worship in their proper contexts. If you can steward money God has given you, then you can steward, uh, and then then that can be worship, then you can absolutely steward your body, caring for it, protecting it, and um, sharing, sharing your body with the right people, your spouse, and eating the proper foods and drinking the proper drink. Um, those things can all be worship to you because you are made by the creator and he cares about you. Okay, and then lastly, identity. If you understand yourself as an integrated person, then you can understand that your identity is someone made in God's image. See, culture, modern West, it really wants you to hate your body. I'll just say it. Culture wants you to hate your body. It wants you to say, I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I need more muscle, or I need less muscle, or I'm too short, or my eyes are too round, or I'm too pale, or I'm too dark, or I'm not a boy, I should be a boy, or I'm not a girl, I should be a girl. And then in a sick twist of irony, our sin nature wants us to find identity in the thing we are not. That's pathetic. God says, though, you are made specifically in my image. You are exactly as I've designed you. 
You may not lock it now, but that's your sin being at war with creation, right? I'm, I, I'm fat and I hate myself. That's your sin being at war with creation. God made you in his image and he wants you to understand that you have the Imago Dei in you and that you get your identity not from what you look like or how you feel or what you think you should be, but that you are a son and a daughter made in the image and likeness of God and he loves you. I got to get off my preaching high horse. This is a podcast, right? But I'm a preacher, so this is what we do. Anyway, I hope that it's clear now that the number one reason why Christians don't care about their health is that they've implemented a person-body split that comes from a combination of Gnosticism and Charles Darwin and evolutionary theory, and that if they saw themselves biblically as integrated beings, mind, body, and spirit, then they would know that not only does their soul matter to God, but their body does too. That's the Ex Nihilo podcast for you guys today. Hey, if you're on YouTube, do me a favor, like the, the video, subscribe, leave a comment if it's interesting. If you're on Spotify or Apple, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, review the show. That helps me a ton. It helps people get to hear more about this. Um, and if you don't like it, hey, you listen this far, that's crazy, but you get what you pay for, okay? Anyway, I'll see you on the next one.